Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 47 of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. My name is Jacob Malicic. I'm one of your hosts. Joining me today is Matthew Westfox. Matthew, how's it going? Not too bad. Not too bad, Jacob. Always glad to uh, let you take the reins here. So today we're going to be talking about something. So I, I, I proposed this to Matthew a while back because this was a story that I was very, very into when I first read it. I thought it covered a lot of the kinds of topics we like to talk about. A lot of these other stories have these same kind of themes, but none of them really hit them home as much as I feel this this particular material is. Today we're going to be talking uh, in and around the graphic novel Kingdom Come by uh, Mark Wade and Alec Ross. Alex Ross, excuse me. And the reason why we wanted to talk, but the reason why I wanted to talk about this is it it does a lot to talk about the role of superheroes in our culture uh, in, in what sort of what would happen. What if? So what if these various things happened where we have these immensely powered individuals going around solving our problems? What does that do to us? But then also, how do they interact with each other and how do they solve these sort of unsolvable moral dilemmas between themselves. So uh, Matthew has since read the graphic novel. What, what did you think of it? Well, I'll start by just saying um, I, I loved it. I'm someone who does not often love graphic novels. Um, I, this, this podcast has obviously mostly been about the, the TV shows and the movies. Um, and I think I liked it because, and, I, and I'm really looking forward to this podcast uh, we're, we're doing today because it, it really dives into the issues that are, for me, at the heart and soul of, of why I started this podcast to begin with. I mean, the very first blog post in the blog that uh, is sort of the overarching, but in some ways sort of predated the podcast itself, was all about, from, you know, from the Marvel movie Civil War and the questions that it raises of, you know, if superhumans are helping to protect the world, who, who watches out for them? You know, to quote the, um, the, the, com- the graphic novel The Watchmen, you know, who watches the watchers? And to me, this uh, Kingdom Come story does such an interesting job of diving into all of the questions around once people become superpowered, who, you know, what sort of oversight do we have over um, are they doing the right thing in protecting justice? When is their sense of collateral damage too high? When are they uh, enforcing their image of justice instead of a more democratic image of justice? Um, and I think especially part of why I like it so much is that it is a Superman story, uh, first and foremost, because um, as a lot of people in this po- uh, podcast have probably figured out by now, Superman is not my favorite hero by any means. Um, Batman most definitely is. Super- Superman is a lot lower on the agenda. And one of the things that I've always wrestled with and, and not really liked about Superman is that sort of the core of the Superman stories always is this person has this incredible amount of power uh, an incredible amount of responsibility, but don't worry, he is so fundamentally good that you never have to worry about being abused. And in some ways, this story, I think, really gets into those questions of what happens when other people who can abuse it in the way Superman doesn't would, and what happens if, in response to that, Superman starts to have his own problems. So, yeah, overall, I, I, I thought this was a fantastic graphic novel. I'd love to see them turn it into a movie or a book of some way. Uh, as long as Zack Snyder has nothing to do with it. Um, I, can check, I can check off that box now for the episode already. Uh, and I'm really excited to talk about it as a novel because I think there's just so much richness in this story. I think four minutes in might be a record on getting the Zack Snyder uh, dig in. Close, so, close. Yeah, so 
Yeah, uh, one of the things that uh, really hit home for me in in the story of Kingdom Come, and it's something that I like seeing uh, in superhero media when we get it, because it's a much headier topic, is when you're dealing with people on the level of, of Superman, on that level of power, how in the world are are normal humans meant to even try to intervene or interject and say, hey, I don't think you're doing this right? Like, at the end of the day, his he's completely indestructible. He's got, like, one minor weakness to this, like, rock from his planet or whatever that, uh, like, Lex Luthor has been hoarding for years in most chronologies. But, like, other than that, you can't touch him. And yeah. he can solve problems. He can solve all kinds of problems without even having to ask you whether, you know, whether it was right or just or legal. And we we're just supposed to trust that he's doing what's right. And in, in you're right. A, a big criticism I have as well for a lot of Superman stories is that that's just sort of like it's assumed. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's doing the right thing for the right reasons. And it's it's not a, a question that they really get into. Um, right. Whereas in this story, in Kingdom Come, it's central to the entire arc is humanity basically uh, giving up because the superheroes have taken over. The superheroes and supervillains have taken over their society. Nobody yeah. nobody who's a human can play the game anymore, the game being life. Uh, the president of the United States is like no power because what, what are they going to do in the face of these immensely like, you've got people like green lantern and stuff wandering around like who's going to stop him from doing what he wants to do yeah i, I thought one of the most striking things that happens early in the first issue of the of it's a four issue run is it talks about how in the future there's no more olympics there's no more like striving for human greatness because we're sort of dealing with you know a, a higher evolved or however you want to describe it different form of life to the point where you know why does figuring out how much, you know, what human being can run the fastest 100-meter dash matter anymore when you've got 10 different, you know, flash-level speedsters who can all do it in, you know, in a millionth of time? Um, and and, and I, that one little throwaway line hit me so hard because it got me thinking, first of all, just not about this idea of, like, you know, human achievement and, and what does that mean for, for humanity, but also in terms of why would you sign up to be a cop in a world where you know that superheroes are pretty much now enforcing all, you know, criminal justice. Why would you try to become uh, an EMT when you know that really like Wonder Woman's going to be there to like rush everybody in the hot, you know, to take care of the people who need to be taken care of. Um, and I will say there was a little bit of frustration in this, in, in this work that Wonder Woman is once again, sort of the healer, you know, caretaker role a little bit more than I, I think she needs to be um, for kind of some gender reasons. And, and we're going to get more into that in her character, but I, I did really think it was interesting that this really forces us to ask what happens to humanity when we start to put our, our faith in, in, in someone from the outside to come and rescue us, that we lose the idea to say, how can we develop something inside ourselves? Um, and we can go off on a bit on a tangent here, but I think it's very related. Uh, there was a great book that came out a couple of years ago called Waiting for Superman. And it, it's specifically about the education system and, and how to reform the education system. And, and that's obviously way off topic for this, this podcast and not what I want to go into. Um, and not, well, I'm not going to say I fully endorse the book and you know, I definitely had problems with it. And they're, they're, who the heck knows how to fix that? But, but the, the central theme of the book is that one of the most dangerous things that can ever happen 
is to tell someone or a group of people, yes, you're in this bad situation, but don't worry, someone else is coming to rescue you. Someone else, some superman, some super person is going to come and fix you because it really has a deadening effect on your own desire to try and fix things, your own desire to try to make things better. Um, and that's a whole topic we can go an entire pot, like years of a podcast on in terms of what that means in terms of social justice movements and, and nonprofit work and how we help people and the like. But it, but it just, I just thought this comic did such a good job of, of, of looking at that question of what happens when people start to believe that someone outside will always come to their rescue. Right. And this sort of uh, embraces that very topic, taking it to its logical extreme where humanity sort of, as a collective, ceded that to the heroes. There's a, yeah. a very significant event that we get a flashback to, because at, at the moment that we pick up the story, uh, Superman has actually abandoned humanity, uh, right. and it is because humanity effectively told him to. Uh, there's Because there's this, there's this struggle in not just this story, but in a lot of superhero fiction between vigilantism versus working within the law and, and making sure that you're not overstepping the bounds of, of what's legal and what's right. And there's this big question that we see it in Daredevil, for example, about, you know, the, the conversation between Daredevil and Punisher is what I'm thinking of about, right. you know, wouldn't it be better if to just kill the people who are doing the bad things because then there aren't those people doing those bad things anymore if you leave them around if you if you just imprison kingpin he's going to come back eventually and he's going to do more bad things why can't you just nip that in the bud and there's a uh, big conflict between superman and this other uh more shall we say aggressive hero called magog that culminates in magog being put on trial for his uh for how he dealt with the joker specifically right. uh in that he just straight up killed the joker while the joker was being hauled away to court and they humanity the, the jury goes nope magog did right that's what we want now we want right. we want these massively dangerous villains like the joker dead we don't want to have to deal with them anymore we don't like we don't like the prison thing and superman couldn't deal with it said that is fundamentally against my moral compass so i guess this is the hero that you want it's not me bye and, and i think that that raises a really interesting question because you know one of the things that we're talking about so often in the in the in these in these stories is who gets to hold accountable the people who are the enforcers of justice you know and is it just that someone like superman or daredevil or the punisher gets to decide what I think is right or wrong, and thus who should be punished and who should be stopped. And for the most part, I think many of these stories, like most of us, probably lean towards you know one person even, even or one group of people, even if we think that we, for the most part, trust where they're coming from, making all those decisions is, is fundamentally autocratic and, and dictatorial and fascist even, and that's really problematic. And in that one moment of that trial, it also highlights that going to the other opposite extreme of pure mob rule and what does the people say can often be just as problematic, you know, and that we're not, we're not, that pitting it as just one of those two extremes against each other is not even the answer. Um, you know, and again, this can get into whole, you know, political science courses, but I, I, I just thought having that one little bit of, um, you know, Magog being, uh, you know, uh, not, not only that he is, uh, freed by a jury of uh, not his peers at all, but by a, by a jury, 
but that they, they just show one headline from the Metropolis uh, newspaper, um, and it just says that they, you know, polled the city of Metropolis, you know, who do you think is better at protecting you, Magog or Superman? And it's like 87 to 13% in favor of Magog. It's just overwhelming. Um, and it's, you can understand why Superman therefore decides, I don't, you know, okay, they don't want me anymore. I don't want any part of this. And to, and to me, it just highlights that it can't be as simple as the people with all the power make the decisions, but it also just can't be mob rule. You know, there has to be some kind of a balancing, uh, a balancing act of those two things. Right, especially since that that populace at that point, again, we're we're talking, we've led into this saying that this is a world now that is just almost dominated, and actually, in a lot of ways, is dominated by these powered individuals. So. Of course, the the regular squishy humans are running scared. You're not going to be making, as a collective, you're, you're not going to be making the most rational, moral decisions when you're terrified to go down to your local supermarket to get a Twinkie, right? Yeah. You're 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 going to react out of that fear, and it's completely natural. And you're going to say, "No, I want to make sure that those threats to my livelihood are gone." And so, what we end, what they end up doing is endorsing this uh, hyper-vigilante-style hero and and that kind of justice, where now the heroes are hunting down and and predatorially uh, murdering these villains to get them off, get them off the streets, get them out of the populace, etc., which culminates into a significant event over the course of the book, because as it turns out, actions have consequences. And, and this is one of the parts where, as everyone who knows, you know, knows this is what I go for more than anything else, I feel like this book is such a wonderful commentary on our own real world, you know, because that is a trend we see happen. Every time, um, I won't even say that every time crime gets bad in a society, but every time the perception of crime gets bad in a society, which can often be driven by reality, but often can be driven by media or by racism or things like that, when that kind of thing happens, public uh, approval of you know, sort of law and order campaigns and, and these kind of things goes way up. Um, you know, I, I grew up in New York City under Rudy Giuliani, where there was a lot of crime. There was also a lot of media hysteria over crime. And and so Rudy Giuliani came in as mayor and um, put in a lot of, you know, very strict policies that were incredibly racist and incredibly problematic, but that the people supported because it was, you know, the answer to the fear of crime. Um, today in the Philippines, where, I, I, as I was rereading this just a couple of days ago, I, I kept thinking of, of what's happening in the Philippines, where you have a president who's basically given all of the public the, the right to commit murder if the person is a drug dealer. Um, and, and, and to me, that's what this captures so well is that that's the vision that can happen when not only do you have an incredible fear, but you also have people with incredible, almost unlimited power. Um, and just what a scary combination that is. Right. And it is, it's, as we mentioned, it's incredibly believable that, that this event would happen, right? That you would reach a point, we would reach a point as a people where we're like Superman's brand of justice is not cutting it. Uh, Like it's not a permanent solution. And so they're looking for that permanent solution and against their better judgment, go with, uh, go with this other guy. And it's, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I think Superman is, uh, 100% right all of the time either. Uh, although he would, I feel certainly say that, uh, (laughs) we should probably have, uh, have thought about this ahead of time and gotten somebody on who was a fan of Superman to defend him. Uh, (laughs) It's not, and I'm not saying that I that I dislike him, but as a hero, I feel that he 
he has it a little too easy uh is my big yeah. problem with him and, and we were actually talking before we started recording about this about how um other heroes when they're faced with the sort of like uh very plot driven uh contrived choice of this one person that you care about or this thing that's supposed to be your mission they they actually have to make that choice and some right. sometimes they get to cheat right but there's always some kind of loss associated with that uh unless it's that uh one of the bad spider-man movies uh but <laughs> <laughs> which is I, I what mean, i was thinking of at the time is the green goblin in his power rangers outfit oh uh, yeah <laughs> I, I mean i forget but um you have not seen Batman vs Superman, right? I have not seen Batman vs Superman. That is correct. So, so I will try to do this in as non-spoilery a way as I can. You can spoil what... Zack Snyder for me. I do not. Okay. Care. <laughs> well, but uh, uh, one of the things I dislike most about that movie is, toward in the sort of big climactic battle scene, there is a moment when we are very clearly battling uh, a creature that has the potential to destroy huge amounts of humanity. I mean, there are millions if not billions of lives on the st- uh, on the line and in a moment when um lois lane is in is personally greatly endangered superman drops out of the fight puts batman and wonder woman and and by extension most of humanity at risk to go rescue lois lane and it's portrayed as this incredibly romantic wonderful thing that he does and i'm just sitting there going you selfish bastard um because the you know, yes, you personally, and maybe this is an unfair thing to ask of superheroes, but to me, that's exactly the kind of question this raises is, is Superman there just to save the people he cares about and to feel good about? Or do we expect the same sort of thing that we expect of, of the police or the FBI? You know, if a, if a police officer risked a whole bunch of lives to save someone he was personally connected to, we would think of that as a dereliction of duty. Does Superman have a duty to put the needs of the great mass ahead of his own personal interest? Um, and, and, and I think, go ahead. I feel he does. I also feel that the character that you were describing from this Batman versus Superman movie is is some other hero in DC and is not Superman. That's uh, also that's also. I mean, it's certainly not Batman in that movie. But, right. Um, well, and, and 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 Superman. So so, Superman doesn't make that choice, right? They change the character in yeah. order to make it more interesting. I like that that moment exists in that movie. Uh. But usually Superman doesn't have to make that choice. And this is the yeah. thing that I have a fundamental problem with is because he, and almost exclusively he, is so blasted perfect that he just gets to he gets to have and eat his cake. Uh in Super in the was it is it the first Superman movie where he does the the like let's go ahead and retcon Lois Lane's death by like wrapping myself around the world a couple of times to literally turn back time? Uh, yeah. Is that that okay, yeah. So Yeah, he gets to live out a share song just to sort of save his girlfriend. Right. Um, he did find a way. Uh Yeah. Um and, and I think and, and, and to pull it back to this, it is though part of why I, I think both like to to, to to shift it but but um but I think it's very very relevant. I found the first Captain America movie fairly boring. Um it's it's a fun movie, you know, the Red Skull makes a fun villain, but there was just nothing there, because again, he felt like the Boy Scout. He's too perfect. Then you get him in a conflict with Tony Stark, and all of a sudden, I love this character. I adore the Superman of this book, of Kingdom Come, because mm-hmm. to me, it goes into those flaws. It goes into those problems, and it really shows him wrestling with the things um, that, that I think just makes it so interesting. 
Yeah, one of the one of the central conflicts of the story. Uh, so spoilers. Uh, Superman comes back. Uh, yes. By the way, we're going to be spoil this episode about Kingdom Come. We're going to be spoiling Kingdom Come. Just FYI. Uh, so, but but Superman comes back uh, after some convincing and after a a cataclysmic event. Uh, so, Magog's squad he ends up. Uh, through some fault of their own, I feel, no small fault of their own, destroying the entire American Midwest, and with it a large portion of the world's food supply. Yep. Um, and so, killing millions of people. Oh yes, also, also by the way, killing millions and millions of people, all trying to hunt down a single villain in a televised event that is basically harmless at that point. Right. So, the definition of just completely over the top, and again, consequences to your actions um the the so superman's all like okay comes back is like we're gonna fix this we're gonna teach these heroes how to be heroes and that they're doing it the wrong way and that they have to that they have to do what's right rather than what they're doing now and the the principal struggle for the superman character is not physically corralling these people it's actually trying to to get buy-in into his ideology right and not being not actually being able to understand why they won't follow him and not being able to pull the trigger on hard decisions about what happens when they say no uh he's all like you know they'll they'll follow me they'll they'll see what's right eventually and they'll figure it out he's got this this there's this line uh when he's got people eventually corralled into this a boiler pot of a place that uh, they they build a prison, they build a gulag to house the ones the the heroes that won't toe the line eventually, and they've got a nice little Superman propaganda hologram uh, trying to preach at these people, and the line they put in his mouth is in this world there is right and there is wrong, and that distinction is not difficult to make. I, yeah. fe I feel that's central to Superman's ideology, that's central to his whole character that he believes this idea. And literally nobody else can can deal with life, can react to life that way. Yeah. And you see some of the people in the re-education camps, which that is absolutely what the Gulag is. It's a re-education camp. Um, and they like there's a t attempt to sugarcoat it, but it's pretty clear that Superman is actually being a fascist here. Uh, yeah, and, and I think that it, it's what is such an interesting part of the story and, and where it connects to so many of these larger questions because... You know, we've talked a lot about how we think the best villains are ones who believe they are right. And Superman absolutely is playing that role. He is 100% able – he's 100% believing he's right. And it's not even like that he's a, a you know a deluded supervillain. He's very close to still being a hero because what we have, we have earlier seen – you know, this is one of those situations where first the story tells us how bad things are. And then the story tells us now we have fixed that terrible problem – and replaced it with something that's possibly worse. And it really makes you ask hard questions because Superman is acting in fascist ways. Superman is completely disrespecting the freedom or, or respectability of everyone involved. He also has prevented all the horrible things that were happening. Um, and and it, it doesn't make it justify the means, but it really pushes hard on that question because... Because because the things that he was that were happening were so bad, like as you said, the complete eradication of the American Midwest and the global famine that that causes, and the millions of deaths, 
Um, and so I remember reading it and really wrestling because Superman is acting in this horrible fascist way. And I also don't know it's immediately apparent what what would the better option have been. Right. And and the the big thing, uh, the, the very interesting thing, and this is where I, I wanted to push back on your comment about Wonder Woman earlier, um, but this is a good moment to bring it up, is that Wonder Woman serves a very important role in this story in being the person to basically tell Superman what's what. Uh, she's talking to him about, you know, what are we going to do with these people that say no? And she's the one who proposes the gulag and he's all like, that's a fascist line, Diana. And her response is get ready to cross it. Yeah. We don't have a choice here. You can't, you can't just wait for them to believe you. And, the one thing I wish she challenged him on, because nobody actually does, is the idea that you can you can fight these people and you can fight these villains without killing them always. Right. Superman can do that, and I think in a lot of ways he's blind to his own capability, and that's one of the things that's always bothered me about the character. Bothered me not because I don't think it's realistic, because what frame of reference does he have, right? Yeah, I, I to me, I mean. Forgive me, uh, fellow geeks. I'm about to uh, use an example from baseball, but I promise it will be short, and I can pretty much explain it very quickly. Um, there was this very famous uh, – and I'm sure many of you are baseball fans and will know what I'm talking about for anyone who isn't. Um, incre- one of the best baseball hitters of all time, a guy named Ted Williams, uh, very big in the 30s and 40s. And among other things, he was thought to just always be able to recognize different kinds of pitches. And someone once asked him, you know, how do you know if it's a curveball or a fastball coming at you? And he just looked at the reporter as though the guy was an idiot and said, you just watch the way the seams are rotating. Now, what, what you have to understand is that when a baseball is being thrown at about 85 to 90 miles an hour, 99.999% of humanity does not have the eye power capable of doing what Ted Williams was able to do. Ted Williams had freakishly impossibly good eyesight, and so he was able to do something. And then when he tried to teach others, they had no idea what he was talking about. And, and that's what I think about for Superman here. You know, when Superman says you have to be able to very clearly, you know, the line between good and evil, black and white, is is so easy to tell. On the one hand, I have to say I just don't believe him. But even if I did, even if I can go along with the idea that the line between good and evil is that clear for Superman, to me it's like it's like the seams on a baseball. You know, Superman can see it, but most of the rest of us can't. Most of the rest of us can't separate out our own personal agendas, our own personal fears, our own internalized racisms and sexisms and homophobias and all the rest of it that makes it hard for us to see sometimes what is the thing that we think is right versus what is the thing that, if there is any objective right, it might actually be. Right. Um, and, and I think that that's – it's not that Superman is, is, is wrong entirely. It's that he does – like you said, he doesn't give enough credit to the fact that he can't expect the rest of us to do what he does. Right. And there's a point that, uh, or a line that one of the characters in uh, the Gulag says immediately after his, his whole, there's a clear right and a clear wrong. Uh, and it just, it really drives the point home. And I don't like, it, it seems like kind of a throwaway line because it just mentions, I don't know. I think the name of the villain group was the slaughter gang or whatever, but he's all like, yeah, this guy's never had to deal with this problem. And there's this, this, 
overarching theme of Superman being part of the old guard, and this is not how the world works anymore, and he doesn't understand the how, like in this new day and age, these are harder times, we can't do this. But nobody's sitting there going, well, you know, Superman can do this. That's why we keep looking to him as a symbol, uh, as our symbol of hope, uh, yeah. which which they're due constantly in the story that like there's this awe when he returns. It's like, oh, he's going to fix everything. And then when he doesn't actually fix everything, people are all like, well, again, they just give up. Uh, well, I, and I, I, I wonder if part of that is, you know, there's always this concept of the topic of the new normal, you know, that like when things when things happen and fundamentally change society, like I, I still remember distinctly the time before the internet. And so to me, I will always have a little bit of a sense of wonder. And I remember the sense of wonder about the internet, but we now have people who have grown up with the internet and it is such a part of the basic fabric of reality that they can take it for granted. Um, I, I don't even know if this is intentional on the writer's part, but I think it must be because I think part of what the, what we're getting at here is that, you know, humanity has been going along for thousands of years, and then Superman comes along. And for the first 10 or 15 years, there's this incredible sense of awe and incredibleness about him and Wonder Woman and superheroes. But that now we are 30, 35 years past these heroes first coming to Earth. And a lot of the people have grown up never knowing of a world without Superman, without Wonder Woman. And I'm wondering if part of what this is exploring is what would happen if we just started to take it for granted? If the existence of superheroes who could save everything became the new normal? And so there wasn't that sense of awe and there wasn't that sense of, oh my gosh, uh, until Superman then returns and starts it all over again. But, but what extent is this exploring what happens when people just start to take superheroes for granted? Right. And, and in, you're absolutely right. And it's, it's one of the things that I feel the story does a good job of exploring. But it, it's an idea that I think we could stand to think about. We see uh, there, there's been an uptick in recent years, and it, we're still in we're still heavily in the superheroes are popular, superhero movies are popular phase of our culture, right? And what happens to us as a society when we start to have this this romance with this idea, this permanent romance with the idea that uh, there are going there are these individuals who can fix our problems and what a fantastic fantasy that is but is it a healthy fantasy right or is it or is the idea that that some savior is going to come and fix all of your problems something that's actively to a point you made earlier something that's actively damaging to your development right well and and here's actually another interesting uh a spin on it you know superman at one point they actually say that like superman is both alien but is also so in some ways, he is the most fundamentally human person that's ever lived, because so much of what he is trying to do is to be the embodiment of human ideals and, and human in human morality. Um, and, and I wonder if part of what 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 this is exploring is, as we were sort of saying before, when superheroes are here for too long, you know, human hu human development, human you know, ex strive for excellence starts to fade. And what if part of what has happened is that's faded in terms not just of, um, you know, speed and strength, but also in terms of morality. Because mm -hmm. if uh, – and this, this isn't really explored in the books, but I wonder if it's kind of implied, and I think it could be explored, is once you also now have um, Superman and Green Lantern and all these people deciding what is right and wrong and enforcing it, do you need PhDs in philosophy? Do you need people writing books of ethics? Because Superman's just going to tell you what it is. 
um, especially if, like you said, Superman is always right about them. Um, and I and I wonder if part of what this idea, you know, if part of that, part of what is happening in this story, and certainly what could happen in a story like this is, by appointing some people the guardians of what is right and wrong, it it hinders our own ability to 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 wrestle with that for ourselves, and that's how we start to sink even more into that mob mentality that comes out when the people all choose Magog and, and, and things like that. And this is why I feel it is so critical and such a good, I'm, I'm really, really pleased with the writing team on this one, with the people who came up with this story, because the, the perspective character that we are given. So the person that we're following through as they observe this story for themselves with the ultimate uh, objective being that this person is supposed to help inform judgment about a, a thing toward the end that's going to happen, um, is a normal person, but more than that, he's a pastor. Yeah. Right? This is somebody who is who people have put their faith in him to be a moral compass, but it's it's a human being a moral compass for other humans, not a superhuman being their moral compass. And right. so he's going around, and in a lot of ways, kind of identifying a little bit with Superman's struggle. And I feel like that's very, I mean, it's almost a little too on the nose, but it's, there's, there's a parallel that can be drawn between somebody who's, who's taken on that role for their community. And for Superman, his community is humanity as a whole. And the enormity of that burden uh, is going to weigh on, I don't care who you are, it's going to weigh on anybody, especially because I don't think you can, and this, this gets into my own personal philosophy, I don't think you can have a singular compass that, that answers every situation. And that yeah. when, at one point in the story, Superman actually has a crisis of indecision. He can't figure out the right thing to do because, as it turns out, there was no right thing to do in that moment. Um, and the choice that ultimately is made is, I feel very beautiful, but... Um, but yeah, he he's just actually paralyzed by indecision because you can't have a singular compass guiding you. Yeah, and, and I think that's such an important topic, and I'm glad we dove into it. And um, many of the listeners know this, but I'll just restate it. I used to be a pastor myself, and so this was definitely a part of the book that I, that I really related to um, and on a number of levels. One is because of what you're talking about in, in terms of you know, one of the things that is often now taught in seminaries that was not being taught before, and it, but it's certainly true for, for many people in these kind of like healing leadership type positions, like pastors, like therapists, like, like all, uh, all sorts of uh, teachers, is the incredible need for accountability. The incredible need that you cannot just be accountable to your own conscience and your own sense of right and wrong, like I said, to your own moral compass. You have to at some point be stepping back and saying, okay, who else is seeing what I'm not seeing? Who else is aware of the things that I'm missing and what can you help me point out? And I think that's one thing the story gets into so well. Um, I, I also think it's really important because, you know, this story raises this whole question of religion in, in some very specific and, and in some ways that I found a little bit eye-rolly, but, but, but I, it really gets into this, this idea of the religious aspect of looking for a savior. Um, and, and I think that that is, it, it's a great thing to do around Superman, especially because um, Superman is very much written as a response to, and, and not just a response to, but a reflection of savior mythology. And, and here it's important to note, not of the like Jesus type, but, but specifically he is written by two Jewish authors in the 1930s, 
basing him very much on Jewish messianic uh, philosophy and thought. Um, the, the, the Jewish Messiah that, that later Christians would think Jesus was, but that Jews to this day think Jesus wasn't and are still waiting for that Messiah figure. Um, and, and there's a wonderful book that I've mentioned before called Up, Up, and Oy Vey that really dives into uh, Superman's roots as a Jewish superhero. Um, but, but, but even putting aside those specifics, I think there's something so, I, I think it is such an interesting commentary on that, that Superman has all the problems and has all the greatness, and, but also all the problems of, like you said, that waiting for a savior. Um, and one thing I think is very interesting is that in a lot of schools of religious thought, uh, not just Christian or Jewish, but in a lot of these, what you wind up getting is more the teaching of the savior figure comes, but eventually then says, look, my role here is not to save you. It's to help you learn how to save yourselves and to save each other. Um, and that's certainly something that I think a, a lot of Christians look to and a lot of Jews, but um, certainly Buddhists would often describe that idea that, you know, um, the, uh, you know, Taoists, uh, so many different religions, I think, have some kind of idea of hoping for a savior figure who will wave their magic wand and make everything better is actually inherently destructive to humanity. Um, and, and so that's why I'm so glad that it was a specifically religious bent, because, you know, I, I think that's a big part of what this story gets to, as we keep talking about, that in many ways, the most dangerous thing that has happened to this world is that both Superman and the rest of humanity have bought into Superman's mythology. Right. And, and something like, so, yes, uh, I, like you, you had a lot to say there, but I, I'm very glad that you said it. I was, uh, I, I feel very underqualified to speak to those <laughs> notes. Um, so I'm very glad that you said that. Uh, one thing that I found uh, also particularly good, and it, it's related, because um, you talked specifically about um, uh, people helping themselves, people people helping to form their own their own destiny and their own path, and not waiting for a savior. The people that are doing that as the story unfolds, the people who are trying to, who are humans trying to save humanity, uh, are actually Lex Luthor and Selena Kyle. And Razal yeah. Ghul, like these, so this group of this this rogues gallery of Superman and Batman villains are collaborating to try to figure out how they can retake humanity's destiny for themselves away from these hyper-powered individuals. And I found that particular story arc within Kingdom Come to be one of the most fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and uh, unfortunately. Or fortunately, depending on uh, your your take on the situation, as it turns it turns out that Lex Luthor does have a, a personal motive behind this as well. So he he's not being particularly altruistic, but one of his goals would be that humanity takes back its own destiny. And right. honestly, I was really behind that idea with the way the story was being portrayed. It was very clear that the metahumans uh, were not solving their problem themselves. Yeah, it, 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 I would say that was one of the few parts of the story that I was very disappointed by because I, I, I wished we had had someone who really was acting just out of the fear of, you know, humanity. What I really wanted was the Amanda, Wall Amanda Waller character, you know, right. the one who is – who really just thinks humanity needs humanity only and wants to get rid of all of the superheroes um, and, and just take care of things because I think that that always has to be a legitimate option of – is this attempt to help us, to save us, especially if it's coming from an external source, not, you know, is it actually doing any more harm than good? Um, and, and I think that's one of the things that I, I, 
I wish I had, I wish Superman had ever done in the story, and I think maybe it, it is part of his his fundamental flaw, that except for that one poll we see, he never actually goes back and sort of really you know he tells the United Nations what he's going to do, but he never really spends much time saying, "Hey, listen, humanity, I recognize that all of us superheroes are causing a lot of problems. I want to serve you. You tell me what we should be doing." You know, because I I think at the end of the day. And granted, this is going to get more into sort of political philosophy and the like, but I think this is so fundamental to all of these stories. The biggest problem I have with any kind of superhero justice is that you are linking the decision about what is or isn't just and the enforcement about what is and isn't just. You know, and that this is supposed to be sort of fundamental to our American society and to a democratic society is that the decision about what is or is not illegal and what is or isn't, you know, are, are okay around the world. That gets decided by civilians, and the police or the military goes out and enforce it, but they have to follow the orders of the civilians. And it, that's certainly never perfectly done, but that should be the theory. And that's what we don't have here. It, it is always still Superman looking down and saying, you guys aren't making the right decisions, so I'm going to make those decisions for you. Right. It's it's a very uh, – and I'm – uh, apologies for people who are not familiar with the with the fiction, but my mind is very much stuck on this right now. It's it's the Skybreakers versus the Windrunners dichotomy uh, from again from uh, the Stormlight Archives by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, there's there are these two factions being very brief that are one is entirely uh, justice laws of man upholding the laws of man, uh, and that is the extent to what they do they intervene when laws are broken regardless of the moral value of those laws mm-hmm. whereas the the wind runners are entirely about what's right and don't don't give a toss about whether it's legal or not or whether right. the, the they're honoring this na- this particular nation's codes it's this is wrong so i'm going to intervene or this is right so i'm going to make sure that it happens and so, right. in a lot of ways, Superman is very much like the Windrunners in that he's like, I know what's right, I'm going to make sure what's right happens, I know what's wrong, I'm going to stop whatever I think is wrong. And when he first goes, because he meets with the UN a couple of times in this story, um, once is as he just after he's returned and stopped some things from happening, and it's like, hey, I'm back, here's how I'm going to fix it, peace and doesn't even ask any questions the second time is after they've killed a bunch of his friends yeah uh because they felt they had no alternative and so we're, we're getting to uh i'm moving us on sort of to the the way the story ends which i i kind of like the ending but mm-hmm. but the resolution is messy I, and that's one of the reasons i like it um but what ends up happening is that there are these like plot nukes right they're like nukes but they can kill superheroes uh that uh the un sends toward the gulag after a jailbreak is engineered so that they know all the metahumans are going to be fighting there um and what ends up happening is that the vast majority of our superheroes do perish over the course of this conflict but there's like a handful left superman initially goes goes off the rails and goes to visit the UN to murder them all which is again not a superman moment but I feel I understand because he's you get this great 
that that panel that page where it's just superman screaming at the sky surrounded by the skeletons uh and dust of his friends uh because of of what's just happened that such a powerful page yeah. um and you understand in that moment and, and so norma mckay who is our who is our pastor he's the person we're following witnesses this and this is when the the person who's guiding him along his journey the specter says we're done and norman's like no we're not done did you see what just happened superman's gonna kill them all we have to get through to him and then they act norman a regular person a normal human being the samwise gamgee of our story mm -hmm. uh talks superman off the ledge and not only that but after that conversation happens after the outcome of that conversation is not only does he talk superman off the ledge but superman decides that he's going to talk with the un and do that thing that you said that he didn't do before where he's all like okay we need to work with you we need to understand what you want us to do and we need to come up with a solution together and they leave it there not where we figured out how to how to fix this how to fix this relationship between metahumans and the world governments and, and humanity but that we're gonna start we need to start the conversation because otherwise we're all gonna die and, and i think that that is such an important point because it gets it gets to the idea of finding a way to still empower humanity and and that on, on some level empowering humanity in a world with powered individuals is is sort of ridiculous because there's no way you can empower humanity to to get into fights with them and to beat them up but what you can do is give them the ability to have that voice and and that's what i think is is missing so often from superheroes and uh, stories and like you said i i love it because it, it gets it, it, to me and at the end of the day superman is back to being the person who's saying i am going to enforce the will of humanity but that, that i'm not going to be the one to decide what that is that things like and we can talk forever about is the un or you know how, how could we best figure out what that will would be on how to make not make it mob rule and all the like but still, that at the end of the day, super, you know, someone else is going to say to Superman, hey, that thing over there that's happening, that's a problem. We need you to go stop it. Instead of him looking and saying, that thing I see over there, I think that's a problem. I'm going to go stop it. Right. The Justice League Watchtower sees, uh, you know, some people who are uh, running guns down in Africa. Are they going to, like, are they going to go and fix that? Or do they have to talk to the UN first? Or, like, how does that work? What's the chain of authority mm -hmm. there? Um, because it can't be, and I, this is a point that I wish other uh, superhero stories made, especially when you get something like the Avengers of the Justice League, although the Avengers did a reasonable job of this. It can't just be that they're like, oh, we see it. We don't involve any of the world governments at all. We don't talk to them at all. We just do what we think is right. Right. Uh, I guess I guess now what I'm saying is that I, at the end of the day, I am Team Tony, but like kicking and screaming. <laughs> yeah, well... And I think it also gets to, you know, and this is what Paul and I, the, the old host who still is part of this show in a lot of ways, you know, get, get to a lot is that, that um, Civil War presents a very sort of flawed picture because I am ultimately on Tony's idea of there should be rules and regulations. I also understand that Cap is saying in this particular moment, these particular rules and regulations are awful and bad and terrible. Um, and, and I think it's kind of why in some ways I like this story a little bit more. Because what Civil War does is to say, should we have regulations? Well, how about these regulations? I don't like those regulations. Let's fight it out. And in some way, this is almost going three or four iterations past that of, okay, let's, 
let's try this way of doing it. That didn't work. Now let's try Superman's way of controlling everything. That didn't work. Let's try this other thing. That, you know, it, it, it's to say let's keep going deeper and deeper, but never let go of that central question of who watches the watchers? Who is going to enforce what is happening uh, and controlling these, these superpowered individuals? Right. There needs to, you could almost say there needs to be uh, checks and balances. Yeah, <laughs> hmm. exactly. If only well, and, we had a system in place with and, those already and, there that we could model this after. And, and let me actually use this as a jumping off point to talk about um, a, a question that we're going to get into in a, a, a couple of weeks or a couple of months, but but I think we can at least touch on here, and I'll just quickly introduce it. Um, we've been... Uh, in an episode a couple a uh, couple back, we talked about the the Way of Kings books, and 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 you've referenced them today, and they're all by an author named uh, uh, Brandon Sanderson. He's also read a series of young adult books that our friend Tim really loved and got me into, called The Reckoners, and it's one that we'll be talking about at a later point. And and it, uh, especially in book one, those books raise the idea that on some level, once you become super powered that power is almost always going to corrupt you in some way. Because in some way, you're just always going to know that you are so far above everything else that you're either going to convince yourself that your vision of right and wrong is the vision of right and wrong, or you're going to decide, like, visions of right and wrong are, are useless to me. I don't need them. Um, we'll talk about those books at a later point, but I'm just kind of wondering, what's your take on that question, you know, coming out of Kingdom Come, but also just in general in superhero stuff? Like, do you think for the most part, it, when a person develops superpowers, are they going to be like Superman and have this just inherent moral compass that is so strong? Or is it a lot more realistic to think that when your average person develops superpowers, a lot of the time they're going to have real trouble discerning what is, you know, if there is any objective right and wrong, what that is from their own agendas and personal moralities and personal vendettas and hates and all that? I would take it once to – oh, so – I will answer your question, uh, but I'm going to answer your question by taking it one step further and say that I think that, in general, the average person who develops superpowers doesn't become a superhero. Hmm. That they become a force for advancing their own agenda and slowly slide into supervillainy. Yeah. I, and understand that I, I am – so I'm a humanist, and I believe in – I believe that we have an inherent understanding of what uh, – what we're supposed to do socially between ourselves um that that i believe very strongly in in the good-natured spirit of humanity uh but i feel that when people are placed when we are tested our most is when we are placed in positions of extreme power or extreme privilege and i feel that it is far too easy to fail those tests so yeah. I think that most of the time what's going to end up happening is someone's going to enter into something with perhaps even altruistic intentions, and in in a year or so they realize they're Lex Luthor, or yeah. that they're uh, Mr. F or yeah, yeah, Dr. Freeze. Is it Mr. Freeze or Dr. Freeze? I don't remember right now. He is, in fact, a doctor, but I think he's Mr. Freeze. Yeah, it kind of goes back and forth on which telling, but it's mostly Mr. Freeze. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think you're probably right. And I think that there is, um, you know, one of the things that these stories I think are often a little bit Pollyanna-ish is that idea that, like, you know, you're going to become a, a hero with a great power. Um, and, and it also raises, I think, the other question that this really wrestles with, and I know that you and I both really care about, is 
do you have to become a hero when you have that power? Because I think that's one of the things that I was really struck by at the start of the book. And here again, where I think you were right as a pastor, the, the connection between the pastor and, and Superman is so strong. Because I know one thing that we, we talked about a lot when I was studying to be a pastor, but there are also people throughout the nonprofit or any of the sort of helping professions, like, you know, nurses, doctors, volunteers, you know, firemen, all these people talk about, is that the danger of burnout is so incredibly real. That there's this sense of once you have some ability to help some of the brokenness in the world, and once you know how much brokenness there is in the world, how can you ever take a step back? How can you ever take a vacation? How can you ever take a day off when there's yet more brokenness to deal with? And it's it's a huge problem, and it's why um, I haven't seen recent numbers, but I know like 10 years ago, the, the rate of people staying in all those professions was like five to seven years just because the burnout rate was so high. And, and to me, this story starts with the idea of Superman having burnt out. And and, and I remember it, it there's a, a long section in, in the in the first issue where Diana slash Wonder Woman is coming to him and saying, but but Superman, you have the power. You have to do this. You have to help. And a part of me wondered, did he? You know, does does his immense power mean that if there is this much brokenness, he has to? Or is that expectation that's being put on him part of the problem? Ah, yes. Does great power have great responsibility? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if, if Uncle Ben is right. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm making a joke here, but yeah, it's... It is a great question, because if we assume that once you're capable of a thing, that you must now do that thing for the greater good, you must advance the greater good using that thing, where does that end? That is an incredibly right. slippery slope. Well, and especially because, and, and here's where, again, this story is such an interesting one, I think the, the Ben line makes sense if Spider-Man's the only hero in the world if Superman's the only hero in the world, you know, but like <clears throat> one of the things that one of the most affecting days I remember in grad school ever was when uh, our professor was talking to us about this danger of, of burnout and, and speaking to the whole class assembly. Um, and he said, look at the people on your right and left and remember that they're there doing the work too. And that there, if you need to step back, someone else can step up. Right. And, and I wonder if maybe part of what I, I kind of wish the story had explored more. And some of I think I'm a little unsatisfied that it is Superman who has to come back and take care of everything. Because I do think that part of the problem is how much the world had come to rely on Superman as the one to be good, to be right, to be perfect. And so the rest of us don't have to be. And if we had gotten to a moment where the world had really realized Superman isn't going to come back, would that be when some of these other superheroes who are starting to really fall would have started to say, wait a minute, we need to actually be better. We need to figure out how to get everyone else to be better. Um, we need to figure out how to share this responsibility instead of putting it all on this one person, Superman. Um, that would it, have, it, it, that would have been a great story. Because it still kind of makes him be the superhero of the superheroes, doesn't it? Yes. And, and that's... So I feel like the, the world that we're being given in Kingdom Come is so so fundamentally broken uh, that they're beyond... I mean, what you're describing is like, well, can't why, why couldn't there have been another savior? Whereas the point is, of course, that they shouldn't need a savior. They, need, they all need to save themselves. Um, but I don't think that any... Because they know Superman's never going to die, uh, there's always going to be that person going, 
yeah, I might be able to do this, but I'm not going to be anywhere near as good at, at doing it. I'm going to screw up, unlike Soups. So I'm going to wait for Soups because he's going to do it right eventually. And then everybody dies. Yeah. That's the way that story actually ends if Superman just doesn't doesn't take the mantle up again, which is very sad. But I also feel, again, very realistic. Once you've seen this, like, nigh unto godlike savior figure in our society how do you backslide from that how yeah. do you go like oh no we're we can we're, we're gonna go back to fixing our own problems nope you become reliant on it and you can't take it away anymore or it does so much damage and, and here's where again and i i want to be very clear I, I i i am sure that among our listener base we have people of all faiths and of no faith and all of that is wonderful and fantastic and I'm saying this because I think it is interesting in terms of the mythology of religion. I'm not trying to give a religious lesson in any way, shape, or form. But I do think it's interesting that, in, at least in the two religions I know best, both Christ Christianity and Judaism, essential to the sacred text is the idea that by the end of the story, God has pulled away and is no longer there to, you know, grant wishes and throw lightning bolts, but is, is now leaving humanity to try and learn for itself. Um, I think this comes actually... Uh, even clearer in Judaism than in Christianity, where in in the Jewish Bible, um, the book of Esther is the last book in the Hebrew Bible, and it is the book in which God never appears as a character, because it is supposed to be the book, as I understand it, and as rabbis have taught it to me, where humanity is now trying to follow the teachings of, of the one who have come before, um, but is now learning to have to do it on their own, um, and, and now to, to, to take it to the, the mythology that um, Jacob, you and I started all these explorations on Babylon 5. It's the same kind of idea. You know, Babylon 5 is a story about all of these lesser races trying to learn what is right and wrong in a world where there are superpowers, the Vorlons and the Shadows, who are each trying to teach humanity and, and, and all the alien races what to, what to do and what is right. But eventually the conclusion everyone comes to is that they can never fully learn it while the Vorlons and the Shadows are hanging around that they can be guides, but at some point all these other races have to follow the path for themselves, not just be told what to do. And, and not only that, but if these two ancient races are still having an argument over what is right or wrong, how in the heck are they supposed to come up with an answer? They, right. the, the ancient races have to step aside and stop being the shepherds and let the flock figure out how to lead itself. Exactly. Uh, one of the things I love about that show, but uh, and we could we could definitely talk for a long time about uh, about Babylon Five, and, and it actually relates very much to uh, Kingdom Come. It's a it's a very similar story, um, up to and including this idea that the the superpowers have to take a step back in order for the people who who need to be making these decisions to actually lead, um, but. We've, we've talked for a long time on this. We can talk for a lot longer. I know there are a bunch of points that we wanted to, uh, more specific points that we wanted to talk after. Uh, for example, the, the Superman and, and Diana going in talking with Arthur, uh, Aquaman, right. and trying to enlist his help. But it's not really central to the theme or the conversation of, of the story. But is there anything that came up in Kingdom Come that you wanted to make sure that we discussed? I think that's mostly it. Um... I do have the small point that, um, forgive me for spoilers here, but Kingdom Come ends with um, Superman and Wonder Woman sort of rolling off into the romantic sunset. 
And um, uh, I have always been a um, Bruce and Diana, Batman and Wonder Woman. They are my OTP and always will be. So I, I sort of bristled at, no, Superman and Wonder Woman do not get together. That's Batman. Um, but uh, that's a pretty minor re- uh, irrelevant point. Yeah, isn't, um, it, isn't it funny how our different uh, ships in fandom can have such a visceral reaction for us and can, <laughs> can undermine – we should maybe, I don't know, do an episode on that at some point. That would be kind of interesting, don't you that'd think? That would be kind of fun. What, what Jacob is hinting at is that we haven't quite nailed down exactly what it will look like, but this is a topic that we're going to be discussing in an upcoming episode soon is, is ideas of – what level of ownership do we, the fans, have over this material in terms of our, our one TP and how upset we get when that doesn't happen or fan fiction or just our ideas of you know staying true to source material and when things get updated? So all that's going to be a great topic and, and certainly my, um, my love of Bruce and Diana and uh, failing, my feeling that the story failed that will certainly come up there. Um, but no, I think other than that, I think we covered pretty much everything. I think uh, I'm really glad you shared the story with me, and I hope um, I'm actually going to include a link to a way um, for people to read the story online um, uh, that's available if people want to. But but I also really hope that people have gotten some some things uh, out of this story uh, that that even if you don't read this particular story, I I think in some ways this this story touches on so many of the the great issues at the heart of all these stories. Issues about you know what is the responsibility that comes with power. What is the corruptible nature of power? And especially where is – I actually, let me make this kind of a new point because we've hinted at it but never quite stated it. I am really interested in the objective versus subjectiveness of right and wrong. You know, and that personally I kind of believe that on some days I would say that I don't think there is any such thing as objective right and wrong. And on some days I would think that there is objective right and wrong, but that we are all such fundamentally subjective figures that we can never really truly see it. And that's why we need to be accountable to each other. Um, but but however you frame it, I think this story really does a great job of exploring that, of what is the danger of having great power and therefore thinking that you that the person with the power should also be the one to enforce it. Um, because, you know, we had a whole list of examples on this. And we all, you know, just looking at like, American foreign policy in the last couple decades or what's happening with the police in this country or, like I said, what's happening in the government of the Philippines or, or, or so many other places. So many of, I think, that the horror stories from human history come when a particular group not only has great power but also believes that it knows what is right and wrong in how to, how to deal with that power and that there's nothing holding those two back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's something that the uh, the story just very briefly touched on, um, and I I'd, I'd love to take a longer time to go into it. I, I'm thinking specifically of the scene with uh, America Commando. Yeah. So it's 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 immediately after the the Kansas incident where, again, the entire American Midwest is completely destroyed. Uh, nobody is alive. The fields are all barren, um, and. America Commando is a, a purported hero sitting there guarding the um, oh, Ellis Island. He's, he's guarding Ellis Island and saying, we can't take on any more immigrants. America's not as big as it used to be. And he's uh, making an, uh, you know, somewhat reasonable argument, actually, uh, although he's you know being portrayed as somebody who's like toting a bunch of guns and frothing out of mouth. And he's very obviously a, a, a caricature of the of the American right wing in that regard. But one of the points he makes about, you know, we can't support uh, people, so you need to leave, I think is interesting. Um, 
that the idea that uh, immigration can only be sustainable if the country can can support the people that are there, and the fact that I mean we can't do that now already with who we have here. So, but then the they pull so so getting to the point that I was actually trying to make. Uh, so, because I disagree with that particular uh, ideology that right. no, we need to fix those problems. Letting people into the country isn't going to like. It neither makes the problem worse nor makes the problem go away. We need to fix that problem and also let people in. Um, but uh, the there's a group of mind controlling aliens who are actually making America Commando do this. I mean, the, this this hero that's supposed to be actually patriotic and and sort of a a uh, Captain America type hero, um, and I just thought that that was a, a an interesting touch, and it's Robin who ends up hitting, uh, who ends up dealing with that particular situation before yeah. they all open fire on the crowd. And this is this is the point where Superman returns, because people are about innocent people are about to die with America Commando clashing with another set of heroes who are all like, no, stop it, America, love it or leave it, um, and. That moment, to me, was very much an indictment of a, hey, while you guys are squabbling over this sort of ideological, you know, whether or not we should allow uh, immigrants with the problems that we have now, etc., uh, people are dying. Yeah. And, and I think you're very true there. And I, I want to make sure that I, I think we're on the same page, because I, I think I know where you're going with immigration, but I just, just to make sure our listeners are clear, like, as you said at the end, we are both, you know, completely rejecting that idea that, like, even if America did not have, you know, whatever America's limited resources should be, that we shouldn't be turning people away based on that. Um, just first of all, just because the idea that um, bringing more people in, you know, everything that's ever been looked at is that when more people come in, it actually increases to our resources and our ability to help people and things like that. But even just putting all of that aside, as I think you said, America Commando is, is such an interesting stand-in. Um, and, and important to note, this was written years before the phrase make America great had ever even you know been put on a hat but but is certainly America commando is the heart and soul of that idea um, and in some ways I think it is just an extension of the the lowest lane problem I was thinking of is that in theory if you are a hero and you're supposed to be protecting humanity that means you have to be protecting humanity and not letting your personal biases get in the way and when you decide I am going to save Lois Lane instead of you know this this larger need, that's your personal bias. And when you decide, I'm going to save the American people instead of the world people, that's also your personal bias. And I think in both cases, that, that, that's a, it, it's that issue of the accountability again. Because I, I, I say that blithely as though that's easy. I have to admit, if I had great power and one person who I dearly loved and I could see them right in front of me was in danger, or a hundred nameless, faceless people who I had no nothing except an abstract concept of, if those hundred people were in danger, I would probably dearly want to save the one person who I knew and loved and had a connection with. That's not why, That's probably why I don't want to become a cop or become a soldier or become a superhero. And I think that this is good because it allows us to really wrestle with that, to say I, that I do think it's important that we hold our heroes to that higher standard of you, you can't let your personal biases affect it but at the same time, recognize that that's an incredibly difficult thing to ask of someone. Right, especially since there's no clear moral compass. I mean, what right. what what Commando is doing here is he's like, I've sworn to protect these people, 
the people of the of the United States, and he sees the immigrants coming in as a threat, as a clear and present danger to the livelihood of the people he's sworn to protect. I'm 100% do not agree with with his assessment of the situation, but I can understand why how he came to that conclusion and right. that is that is the danger and that is why you need external entities to check against the police and right. against the justice system and that's why we have to have we, we always have to have agencies that hold other people accountable right. so that there's never one this one-stop shop for justice where somebody gets to make all the decisions so so basically what i'm saying is superman is wrong <laughs> and America Commando proves it. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. Because, and America Commando to me proves it in two ways. Because on the one hand, like you said, it's the need for accountability. You know, you need someone else who tells America Commando, actually, those immigrants aren't the threat to the people you've sworn to defend, and here's why. But you also need someone to say, hey, Mr. Commando, you do have this incredible power. Do you really think you should be pledging it just to defend the people of the United States, or should you be making a larger pledge, or you know what can that look like? Um, and, and, and maybe he does. Maybe that needs to be that particular delineation. But then, when those questions come up, there have to be other people involved in the conversation than just him. And nope, this is my job. Right. Right. And, and that's also it's the, it's the idea of you know I mean every cop has a beat. You know every every police department has a precinct. But in theory, you know the cops in New York don't want to just take all the criminals in New York and dump them in New Jersey. There's some, okay, that actually has happened at times, but hopefully it shouldn't happen. But, you know, there should be, even if it's a, America Mando is able to say, this is my beat and someone else is protecting that other country, but I want to make sure that they're not getting screwed over even while I'm protecting my precinct. Whereas in, in, that, in the story, America Mando is basically saying, I am protecting the people I love and to hell with everybody else. Right. And that's, I think, where you, we really lose it. Right. He is, as you so eloquently put it, saving Lois Lane exactly. rather than the thousand or so nameless people. Exactly. Right. Um, and, and I want to now save our thousands of, of listeners, uh, or probably <laughs> hundreds of listeners, more honestly. Um, but we're going to talk about how we can make it thousands by saying that this is an amazing discussion. And, Jacob, I'm so glad for you for, for bringing this to my attention and for um, leading this discussion. But we do need to wrap up based on time. Um, so, Jacob, is there any other last things you wanted to touch on? No, uh, I I said my piece about that particular story beat uh, and, and why I enjoyed it, why I felt it was a, a good point of significance. I wish it weren't thrown away, but so much more of the story hammered the point home that our heroes need people that that help guide their moral compass so that they're not unilaterally making these decisions. Uh, and that I feel is a lesson that we could take into our present day culture where we don't have any superheroes. True, true. And, and let's, let's put that in practice because um, Jacob and I are your podcasters here, but we want to be accountable to you and we want you guys as part of the discussion. Um, normally now I would just say, so message us on Facebook or Twitter, but I'm actually going to try something a little different this week, which is um, please, if you have a general thought after listening to this and you want to respond, hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Twitter. On both of those, we are Superhero Ethics, or you can uh, email us at superheroethics at gmail.com. But I'm also going to try and uh, take some of these questions that we raised, and I'm going to be posting them on our Facebook group and on Twitter over the next couple of days. And I'm asking you to, to, to keep the to keep the to keep a lookout for those, and and join us in some specific discussions about these specific questions, because I think Kingdom Come does 
to me, such a great job of, of what I most want from this media, which is asking hard questions. And I, when I read this, I thought, I want to talk about this with Jacob, and then I want to talk about it with you all. So I really hope we can get some great listener engagement on these questions. Keep your eyes peeled for them. Um, thank you guys all so much for listening. Please feel free to keep sharing this podcast. Give us high rankings on iTunes and on Stitcher. That's how more people get to listen to it. More people get to join the conversation. Uh, on behalf of myself and on Jake, of Jacob and on everyone else who understands that um, Bruce and Diana are the one true pair, thank you very much and take care. Bye-bye. Have a good day.